Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome back to another week. Yeah, thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, always good to have this Monday afternoon with you. So today was thinking that rather than doing listener questions, we do appreciate them, keep them coming. But the markets have been a little crazy lately, right? They're little, moving around a lot. A lot of crazy, a little crazy. They've been crazy. Depending on, you know, this probably won't come out for a couple of weeks, so who knows where it is. And two weeks from now, we could be correction territory on our way back up, or we could be into a bear market on our way down. And only time will tell. Only time will tell, but I think it's healthy. So this is what? This is May 9th. As yeah. we're recording, obviously, anytime we're talking about investment stuff, it could change by tomorrow, much less a couple, a few weeks from now when this is released. Totally. But as of today, the S&P 500, it's down about 17% or so. Right. So far this year, the NASDAQ's down, I think, 25 plus percent so far. So yep. pretty scary start to the year, which begs the question, as investors, what do we do? How can we be the best possible investors in the midst of some of this craziness? Exactly. And, you know, markets, once they reach like down 10 to 20%, that's what we'll typically call a correction. And if it's down more than 20%, we'll call it a bear market. So we're seeing some markets are rolling into what we call a bear market while others are in correction territory. And time will tell what we do with that. But we should certainly talk about what we can focus on and chat about a few different things that we've yeah. kind of seen some interesting pieces that we've seen and some reminders for you all. Yeah, I think so. And maybe we'll start with some of the current events and then just looking at macro environment, how do yeah. we respond? But we've had a lot of crazy year, everything from inflation being high to issues in Ukraine to supply chain issues right. that are continuing China shut down to, again. to <clears throat> Federal Reserve increasing interest rates or the federal funds rate. So yep. you look at those types of things and think, geez, as investors, we know it's bad, but use the Fed as an example. We know they're going to be raising rates. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't that be a reason, for example, to start making a change or start making some shifts to how we're invested. Right. Yeah. And you could think like, you know, when I think a lot of us just think like, man, they're going to raise rates. That means the stock market has to go down, right? You would think. Yeah. There was actually, there was an interesting piece put out by dimensional funds about this specifically recently. So I thought it was worth noting here. And what they did was they did a couple things. They looked one, they just went and looked at all of the data from 1983 to 2021. And they basically just went and looked, okay, over that you know, 400 and let's call it 470 months. I think it was a little bit less. 70 times Fed funds were increased. 67 times funds were decreased. And, you know, looking at the average monthly returns along the way of what happens during months when they go up or months when they go down or months when there's no change, the difference is basically almost not existent. Yeah. The average monthly return in up months where they raised rates was 1.05%. For the stock market, mm -hmm. for the U.S. stock market. In decrease months, it was up 1.13%. Got a little extra juice in there, I guess. And then when there was no change, it was 1.02. It was like the market overall over the long term basically was like, yeah, whatever. 
Yeah, within 0.1% of each other in terms of the average returns, whether the Fed is increasing rates, decreasing rates, or no change. And just for listeners out there, when they're increasing rates, really it's with the intention of slowing down some things in the economy, of trying to prevent things from overheating because it makes it more expensive to get a mortgage or get a car loan or have a credit card. It kind of disincentivizes using leverage to grow, which tends to put the brakes on the economy. So yep. to speak. So a lot of people say, well, geez, that has to be a negative thing for the stock market, right? And as we're looking at this, it's not to say there aren't months where the stock market goes down. Of course. As this is happening, we're seeing that already. Yeah. But I think one of the things is using a data point like that is just hard to pinpoint. It's hard to say because this is happening, the stock market will go down. Or because this is happening, the stock market will go up. Yeah. The key takeaway for me when you look at that data is it points to the idea that like you can't have certainty that an up move will cause a down move in markets. Yeah. It's just not there. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. What I think is so much of this is if you look at just headlines and what's the media saying about the markets, the media is going to be hyper-focused on one thing, typically one negative thing. Yeah, And that one thing might be the Federal Reserve increasing rates. But there's so many different variables that drive the movements of the stock market. So that, many. that is one relatively small variable compared to you look at some of the positives americans have never been in a better financial position in terms of average net worth or Mm -hmm. cash on hand you Mm -hmm. look at businesses that are buying back their shares of stock or have more cash on hand than they ever have versus Mm -hmm. supply chain crisis or crisis globally versus there's so much good news and bad news and everything in between absolutely and we almost look at it as a super simple equation of oh well if the federal reserve does this with interest rates that must be the lever that drives the market up or down, not realizing there's thousands and thousands and thousands of levers kind of in tension with one another, all driving prices every which direction. Such a good point. Anytime that you look at a headline where the headline says, this is what caused the market to move today, (laughs) I always struggle to believe that. Yeah. For the exact reason you're giving. So many things make these markets go up and down. It's not just one thing. I don't know how it works, but I have to think that these magazines or publications or whatever write like five positive headlines and five negative headlines to start the day. This is just my theory because you'll literally see it in the morning. Federal Reserve raises rates, the stock market's down. But by yeah. the end of the day, stock market's up. So they've just replaced the headline. Totally. Personal balance sheet's never better as stock market rises. And yeah. so it's almost like the headline follows the stock market as opposed to the stock market following the headlines, which I guess long story short is so much of what you're seeing is just noise, which as we're looking at this, as we start to zoom out a little bit, it maybe helps to provide a little bit more perspective. Absolutely. To even take it further, when you go look at the idea of rates rising, even whether it's one time or multiple times or there's no change, and you go look at it over the periods of time moving out, you actually see again that you know US equity markets, when rate hikes happen, looking back over that same period of time for one, three, and five years, the market is positive across the board on average. Like it's not negative. Mm-hmm. So I'm not overly concerned about Fed policy mm-hmm. for what I should be doing in the stock market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's like just a microcosm example of not letting one headline thing, whether it's recession or inflation or interest rates or whatever it is, drive investment decisions. Because as we said, there's not a direct relationship that can be found looking at history as our example to see what is this going to do for us in the short term? Absolutely. You know, and that gets back to the idea of, well, what are we investing for, right? Because like, if you go back to the idea of being in the markets in the first place, 
every day is almost a coin flip as to whether or not the stock market goes up or down when you look at the averages over time. It actually slightly skews positively, which makes sense because markets <laughs> overall typically go up. But about 56% of the time, the stock market is up on a daily basis. But that means there's a lot of downside there, Yeah. right? And you get to one year, 75% of the time, it's positive. But again, 25% of the time, it's not going to be. Mm-hmm. You get to five years, we're at 88%. It's looking pretty good. But again, there's 12% downside. And then you get to 10 years, 95% of the time, it's up. But there's still that little 5% slice that's down. And man, if we had a long period of up markets, haven't we? Mm-hmm. You get to 20 years and beyond, so far, 100% of the time, markets have been positive. Yeah, yeah. Which is important because as investors and as human beings, I think it's so hard to think long-term and zoom out. We're so focused on what color is our stock app this day? Am I seeing red or am I seeing green? Yeah. But that is going to be an inevitable part of investing. And the more you focus on that and the more you lose sight of long-term probabilities and odds, either the worse you're going to perform as an investor, or maybe even if you stick with your plan, the worse you're going to feel as an investor because you're just going to feel totally out of control and whipsawed on a day-to-day basis. Yep. Absolutely. And I think that kind of leans itself back to the idea of like, you don't want to make those short-term choices, Yeah. but the short-term choices can really hurt you, right? Yeah. So let's talk to that investor who's saying, look, Scott, James, I get it, but markets so far as of this recording are down between 15 and 25% on the year, depending yeah. on what market you're looking at. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of potential bad news that could drive markets further down. Why wouldn't I get out even just for a little bit until things get better? What reason would you give me not to jump out until things normalize and then get back in? Yeah. I mean, well, Two things. One, it's tough to say it this way, but like the downturns are how we get paid as investors. Mm-hmm. Like if we were only investing and we only got to ride up and to the right, there would actually be no up. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if that was the case and we could just get this nice rate of return with no risk, there wouldn't really be much return to get. It would be risk free, <laughs> which wouldn't give us much return. It would give us what the banks give us. Yeah, it wouldn't do anything for us. So you, you have to be willing to pay your tax and the taxes being on this roller coaster ride during these downturns. Yeah. 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 So not fun to pay it, but this is why you get long-term results is not everyone's willing to accept that uncertainty in exchange for as close to a certainty as you can possibly get over long periods of time. Right. Right. And the other issue with trying to time the market is that Look, selling can easily just make you feel better instantaneously. Oh, I don't have to worry about that anymore. I don't have to feel the ups and the downs. Mainly the downs are what we don't want to feel, right? But once you do that, you have to time when to get back in. And you have to time when to get out and get back in correctly. Yeah. And time and time again shows us that people are no good at this. (laughs) Which makes sense. Because if you don't feel good now, what makes you think you're going to feel good when the market's down another 5, 10 15%. Yeah, because then you go from like, you get out and you go, well, I don't want to catch a falling knife. I'm going to wait for it to bounce back up. Well, the bounces back up usually are a lot of the return that exists in markets. Yeah. One of the things that you'll see over time is the most volatile days, some of the biggest up days can be fairly closely around some of the biggest down days. Yeah. Right? I know there's a slide that has been used in the past about like kind of missing the best days, which I think is decent to think about because if you just stay invested and you don't worry about it, you're not going to miss them. Yeah. And you also have to ride through those down days. There's no yeah. doubt about that. But, you know, from like, I think it was 1990 to end of 2020, if you invested $1,000 in the S&P 500, it would have grown to about 20,000 
451. Pretty good. If you missed the one best day, though, your return fell to 18,329. Hmm. So, so 10% of your return lost by missing one single day. <laughs> yep. And then if you missed out on the five best days, it went down to 12,917. Hmm. If you missed out on the 15 best days, it went to 7080. If you missed out on the 25 best days, it went to $4,376. And a one-month T-bill was $2,245. Yeah. The point is, trying to time the market doesn't really work well. Yeah. So just if you miss over that time period, what was that, 30 years? You said 1990 to 2020? Yeah. If you miss just 20 days, 20 best days, your returns were 80% lower than they would have been. About 80%. The 25 best days, yeah. Yeah. It was a 4.88 return versus a 10.23 return. Which when you compound that in dollar terms, about 80% fewer dollars, right? We'll say my math is close enough for the sake of yep, example. Works for me. You know, people look at it and say, "Well, what are the odds I miss the twenty best days over thirty years?" Kind of not that right. probable, right? Right. You might think that if those days were just scattered randomly across the board, but they're not. Those best days happen in time periods like we're experiencing right now, and they typically closely follow days where the market is down the most. Yeah. So they typically follow the days where most investors do get scared out of their investments and say, "Okay, that's it. I'm getting out." And then the best day happens. And I say, oh, well, now things have started the recovery, so we'll get back in. And then that repeats and repeats and repeats. So it's not actually that improbable that someone who is trying to get in and out could very well miss some of the best days in the market in doing that. Totally. So if we're not supposed to time and if we're not supposed to try to get in and out, what should we do as investors? Yeah. Well, we do as <laughs> for a job here. Have a plan. Yeah. Know how you're going to invest and why. Yeah. Have a plan with... You know, we've talked on the show before about asset allocation. How much do you want to have in stocks? How much do you want to have in bonds? Do you want to have funds in, you know, real estate investment trusts or other things? But know what mix you want to have. Set some rules around those investments and then know when you're going to make changes. But make mm -hmm. changes based on the rules that you have for yourself, not just because of how you feel about the markets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's important to know. I get a lot of, you know, for example, if someone has 30 years to go until they're planning on retiring, yeah. you're probably going to have a more aggressive mix of investments than someone who's retired. Mm -hmm. And the goal of a plan is to do a lot of the legwork on the front end before the downturns happen and before the craziness happens to understand what is the right mix of assets that's going to help me meet, reach my goals regardless of the journey we go on in between. Mm -hmm. And so I'll have some people who, for example, maybe it's a retired client who says, okay, well, what are we supposed to do during this downturn? Well, we did a lot of that work prior to the downturn mm -hmm. in terms of saying, what are your income needs? How much that needs to come from your portfolio? <laughs> Do you have enough in stable or conservative investments to continue generating that level of income even when there's this downturn? Right. So we have time for the stocks to recover. So what are we going to do? Well, we've already done it by having that plan versus the person who's still got a long time to go. Well, we're going to invest more aggressively. And as these ups and downs happen, we're going to be grateful for it because this allows us to keep working the plan and this is where the most amount of wealth is really built over time if you can continue that saving and that investment and that buying as things are down so really having a plan what that does is it positions you so that when these things happen it at a minimum doesn't hurt you but optimally actually helps you because you can just use it to accelerate what you're I, doing i actually think that's the answer for people who are building for retirement and who are also retired right mm -hmm. Because if you are building for retirement, as you're saying, hey, when the stock market goes down, guys, it's like the Nordstrom half annual sales happening mm -hmm. or Amazon's having Prime Day. But 
this is the one market where things go on sale and people are like, I don't want to touch that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. want that right now. Yeah. But no, you can literally go buy more shares of things for the same amount for less money. Yeah. Right? Yep. That's a great thing. Especially when you look at the fact that markets typically move forward as we looked at between you get to a 20 year time horizon, your things are looking probabilities are really in your favor, mm -hmm. right? So, and then even if you're retired and you have a strategic asset allocation, if markets get to a point where the equities get too small in a portfolio, relatively speaking to the allocation you want to have, well, yeah, you're probably going to sell some bonds and go buy some stocks mm -hmm. in that moment. But you still need to have obviously the bonds available to be in a sense like a war chest or cash available for you to live out the downturn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think another part of that plan <laughs> isn't just asset allocation. Well, I guess this is a component of it, but I think a lot of people have been hit especially hard during this downturn because what worked last year was these crazy meme stocks and some of these high growth, very specific companies that people put all, all their money into. Trade, you see this with Robinhood stories are all over. And part of that plan is, yes, you do need to diversify and some of that is gonna come with some difficult times because you're underperforming. These yeah. meme stocks, for example. Yeah. But as you're going through this and saying, oh, well, I'll just wait for this thing to recover. Well, some things that have been hit especially hard, if you're not, if you don't have that diversification, that plan up front, some of this just isn't going to apply because who knows on an individual company basis. But having that asset allocation, having that diversification really helps to minimize some of the catastrophic loss that could happen for that type of an investor. Absolutely. It's why we speak to having globally diversified portfolios and building wealth where we're we're accepting the what sometimes could be viewed as a mediocre lunch might be one way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. Or it's kind of a way of saying like, you're never going to have to say you're sorry to yourself because you're never going to own the hottest stock, but you're never going to own the worst performing. You're never going to have- Well, you'll own it. Just You'll own it. To be specific, you'll own it, but you'll never have the ownership. highest performance of your buddies and you'll never yeah. have the worst performance either Yeah, because you're really allowing the markets to do work for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you referenced this just a bit ago, but this isn't to say do nothing as markets are going up and down. There could be things that you do. What are yeah. some examples of some actual tangible things that could be done? Yeah. So you can do something that's called rebalancing. So we haven't really dove deeply into rebalancing before, but the idea would be, you know, maybe you have a 60% stock and a 40% bond type allocation and you're going and you're looking at, okay, if I look at my bonds and my stocks relative to one another, has anything shifted to a point where I should do something differently, right? Mm -hmm. Now we're actually in a period of time where with the interest rate move that's happened recently, bond prices have come down as well. We'll probably talk about it in a different time if we don't have time for it now. But that's made it so that the shifting of rebalancing hasn't necessarily occurred mm -hmm. as much as you might otherwise see. Mm -hmm. But rebalancing is definitely one thing you can do. Tax loss harvesting is another. If you have taxable accounts, you can look to sell things that have gone down in value. You can't buy the exact same thing right away. You have to deal with this thing called the wash sale rule, but you can go ahead and sell things to book a loss, which mm -hmm. you can then use against gains in the future, or you can deduct up to $3,000 of that loss against your income in yep. any year. Yep. So absolutely things that are important to do that can decrease risk or can decrease taxes all within the scope of the original plan, which is what's the right mix of investments in order to accomplish the goals that I have. Now, the things that you shouldn't do are that speculation and the, oh, I'm going to sit this out until things recover, or I'm just going to get out until I feel better. That is a surefire recipe for disaster long-term. It's going to feel good the instant you do it, but it's not going to take too long for regret to set in as you 
realize it's going to be very difficult to get back in and it might lead to a permanent loss of money when you do get back in. Absolutely. Focus on the things that you can control, have a plan and stick with it. Yeah. Cool. Fairly straightforward on this, but I think it's like, this is not a new message that we've given. We've said stuff like this before, but Mm -hmm. there's a difference between knowing the right information and doing the right thing. Absolutely. The person that knows the right things to do at the gym, but can't do it to save their life. They can't bring themselves to do it. They can't implement it. There's a difference between knowing something and behaving correctly in the moment. So this is just, I think, more than anything, a good reminder in the midst of some hectic markets to just be a reminder of what works, what works over time, why does it work, and what should you and shouldn't you be doing in the midst of it. Absolutely. The fundamentals work again and again. And you know there can be complexity built in here. There's no doubt about that. But at the end of the day, if you stick with the fundamentals that work, you'll be better for it and you'll probably sleep better. Yep. And we all like to sleep better. Yes. That's a underrated part of financial planning. Yes. Financial planning. All right. Well, anything else that you'd add to this? I think that's it for now. I think it's a good overview. Yeah. Yeah. Anything for you? No, I think that's it. Thank you all for listening. And we appreciate the questions that continue to come in. And for those of you that leave reviews, that's a part that We should start doing like a review of the week or something. Just shout out all the people that we appreciate. But anyways, submit questions, leave reviews. Thank you all. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening. And we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.